Hey there, welcome to the Creative Metaverse Podcast, formerly known as the Game Artist Podcast. My name is Ryan Kingsline, and I'm the CEO of Vertex School, where we train creatives for the career of their lives. In this podcast, we interview amazing creatives and artists working in film, games, and building the metaverse right now. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. All right, Nathan, thank you so much for joining me here. No problem. Glad to be here. So I really wanted to just get to have a conversation with you, talk a little bit about environment arts. I, again, as I said earlier, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to do this and just see if we can kind of lead environment artists or game artists a little bit further down the path for those who aren't sure exactly what's going on. Because environment arts, you know, like what, 10 years ago, it used to be pretty simple. You just made everything and you made everything low res. Now... <laughs> It's like you still make everything, but now there's like 20,000 ways to make it. Yeah, yeah. So why don't you start by just telling me what an environment artist is from your perspective? From my perspective, um, yep. there's several different types of environment artists, I guess. There's different paths you can go down. If you want to be more of a generalist, then you have to be able to do a bit of everything. So general modeling, texturing, that kind of thing. Then you can go down the more specific route of environment yep. art. Mm -hmm. And just kind of focus in on texturing or focus in on just foliage or focus in just asset wise, as in just kind of modeling, sculpting, that kind of thing. And generally, it's getting to know how to make more natural things, I feel. I think being able to make more natural environments is a lot harder, in my opinion, than making sort of more hard surface kind of stuff, as you need to kind of deal with the chaos that, that is nature and then you've got the environment art for more hard surface areas like sci-fi and you know buildings and man-made structures that mm -hmm. you can see right in front of your eyes there's generally rule sets that kind of thing that you need to follow to get that to look right and then again it also depends on if you want to go down the realistic environment route or the stylized environment route like i'm more basically totally focused on realism. Um, I don't really tend to play around um, stylized stuff at all. But yeah, that's kind of a general thing of environment art, I guess, for me, from my point. All right. So environment art has those two directions, hard surface. It has organic. It has props. It has surfacing. Where's the most need? Like, where's the coolest, best place for somebody to position themselves today? I mean, I guess there is. I wouldn't really say there was. I guess there, there's, I mean, Substance is pretty hot right now. Houdini stuff, that's making its way up. So if you're getting into Houdini right now, it would be a good, kind of a good way to go. And definitely getting used to the Substance packages. Got it. That's going to help you. Also, I think one of the hardest places to get into from what I've seen is foliage. It can be really hard to find someone's really good at just foliage stuff. That's kind of a... I guess, more of a niche thing, but it's kind of harder to find someone that's really good. What means somebody's good? Like, if you could define that, is it the just the capacity to use speed tree or? Yeah. So and for my point and for a realism point is the, the ability to replicate realism in a real way. So I'm not an expert in foliage, but if you go over to one of the first Forza posts on my portfolio, you can see a lot of our trees and foliage is, is made to like a more of a realistic way. If you can replicate that realism, then I guess that would be good from my point of view. 
if you don't mind, I want to unpack that a little bit because I think the key thing that I've learned over the years of teaching game arts is at the end of the day, the devil's in the details, right? So like we can talk about it in these generic terms, but the more granular we can get, the better. So if we're saying the, the goal is replicate reality, if I'm looking at your Horizon 4 work, what does this mean in terms of what we're expected to achieve or what we should really start to be putting in our portfolio? Does it mean that, like, for example, I'm looking at a shader ball of yours, a substance, some um, probably like just floor, some groundwork right there, right? Yeah. Is it rocks? Is it trees? You know, what is it that we should be thinking about to just position ourselves and make sure that, you know, we're, we're attractive to the job market? So being able to render your work really nicely is a big thing. I see a lot of people yeah. posting their work. It's really nice work, but it's not lit very nicely. Um, mm-hmm. And it's quite flat. There's nothing attractive about the image. So it just kind of gets passed over. You know, that's a that's so. a really good point because I was just talking to, I had dinner with Mark who runs QBrush and Simon Fox of uh, Blizzard. And that conversation came up where it's the biggest problem is that people just think that it's enough to model or texture. And then they just crap out the presentation. You need a basic understanding of things like composition, things like lighting to really sell your work. And if you don't kind of have that, then your work tends to get kind of passed by. It really needs something to kind of hit the eye and get someone to look. What are some of the common mistakes you see people making? Let's say just in terms of lighting, not composition yet, but just in terms of lighting. In terms of lighting, I would say things are just really flat. Um, They use one light. just shine it at the, wherever it is, say it's an Unreal project. I've seen people in Unreal projects not even bake the lighting. Mm-hmm. So you can get things like the little preview word and the shadows that you get sometimes. So there's I've seen images with the little preview icon, which to me that says amateur. I don't really know what I'm doing here. I've just kind of put some stuff into a game engine and hit screen capture. What about if I was to say, well, I only put one light in because I wanted to make it real time like I wanted to make it run and I don't know lighting very well so this is the best I can do I would say look some stuff up really spend the time to look into how to finish your work because you can finish loads of work or get to about 80 percent and that yeah. last 20 percent takes equal amount of time from the 80 percent just to get to that kind of complete stage so I'd say if, if that's all you can do spend a bit of time looking into how to get it that little bit better I'd say look at some of the artists that you like, some of the people that you know that make some of your favorite games, look at how they present their work and kind of go off of that. And then I think with lighting, everyone really should be be kind of knowledgeable and sort of like three-point lighting system. So everyone should really be kind of more knowledgeable, at least know how to build a three-point lighting system to render their work. Got it. What was your first job in the industry? The one I, I'm currently in, awesome. doing games. Uh, um, I started working there about uh, two years in August. Um, Sweet. I started. Congrats. So where'd you, where did you? how did you educate yourself? How did you get yourself in a position for this? So I worked in a nightclub. I was the manager of a nightclub All for right. almost 10 years. Yeah. And my spare time is, I started off as a hobby, doing just 3D modeling and artwork. Um, kind of started off using Blender just making some kind of 3D models in a, as a hobby. Mm-hmm. And then as it went on, I was like, I got better and I got better. And I was like, you know, what? maybe could I do this as a career? And then it was then maybe about three years before I got my job. 
I just kind of jumped right into it, spent most of my day learning, and then I go to work at night, go to sleep, and kind of rinse repeat. I just kind of taught myself uh, everything I know. Were you on the closing shift? Yeah, yeah. So I, I was on from about nine o'clock till uh, just before six in the morning. Oh my God, that's harsh. Yeah, it was pretty bad <laughs> for 10 years as well. Yeah, that screws you through biology. I remember doing a job like that for, I think, a year. I wish it was nightclub manager. Restaurants are a little more dynamic, but as a night restocker at Costco, and that that's pretty hardcore stuff. Yeah. yeah. Changes it, your it, biology. It, it, yeah, it does. It can change your emotions and the way you think about things as well. Mm. Uh, so it's a very different path. You're on your own, as in not going to school. How the hell did you stay motivated to keep doing this and not feel like you've lost the plot? It was, I guess, the job I was in, I didn't like, you know, you see drunk people all the time, you see kind of some of the bad stuff people will do, uh, Mm -hmm. it kind of sucks your soul a little bit. And Mm -hmm. I I was just like, I need to get out of here. I love doing this, like, just just focus. And I guess you kind of need that drive to do stuff on your own and not go to school and not learn off of others. I guess it takes a specific kind of person to be able to do that. But I think you need that drive to kind of push you through and I guess you need something in my case I had something that I was trying to get away from and then something to get to yeah well and I can imagine it's easy to lose touch with being an artist you're in a different world like I, I managed I started as a busboy I was a I worked as a waiter in TGI Fridays oh my god that was pretty hardcore and then I went over into fine dining thank you Jesus and uh, got into this restaurant in Philadelphia but even then, it's like, you know, you're up late, you got a crew, everybody hangs out together, everybody knows each other, yeah. and everybody's got a gig going on, like, so they say, you know, but everybody's still a waiter or still in the industry, you know, and 10 years later, yeah, I got this thing going on. Like, I ran into them uh, five years ago or so when I went back to Philly, I ran into everybody. It's the same crew. They're all still yeah. there and they all got the same dreams, but they're all still there. So I imagine, and from my own experience, it's easy to lose touch with the whole goal. Of course, we want to get out of it. But at a certain point, just like disconnect with the artist. You know, it's like, how did you stay focused on like, you're an artist, you're devoted to this, you're going to make this happen? I've seen people fail at this as well, because I have a friend that worked in a nightclub, um, wanted to be, oh, was an artist and is an artist still. You know, he's like one of those kind of people that you were talking about. You know, he has a gig, you know, now, now and again, but he's yeah. still working at a bar. I'm one of those people that are, I just don't quit things. If I decide I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. I'm going to play on. I can be kind of headstrong that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like I said, I've, it takes a certain kind of person to be able to disconnect yourself from, so like disconnect myself from that nightclub. And in, in a way, I also kind of started to disconnect myself with those people as yeah. well. But basically, I just I had other people around me that told me that it was the right thing to do, and I was going in the right direction. I was doing it for myself, and I was doing it for other people as well. So, mm. so make sure you've got people around you that are outside of that restaurant, yeah. that retail, that circumstance. Yeah, That's absolutely. Important. Do you think it's important that you just have like an online crew, or did you physically have people that you could hang out with? You saw. So people that I actually knew I could talk to outside of the industry. Uh, yeah. I had people online as well. I've got my fiance 
she was actually one like harshest critic. Um, <laughs> if, I, if, I would, if I would make a piece of art and she would say that it was rubbish, go do it again. <laughs> um, you know, but it made me made me better. Um, uh, and no, she, she was I, always really supportive. That's good. My wife is the same way, right? Such a loving soul, and then it's like crushes you <laughs> with the truth. <laughs> so you, you know right. it's true, but you just don't want to hear it. Yeah, just really, you know, can I just a little bit more love in the tone, please? <laughs> uh, Ray is bringing something up. I think it's really cool. Meetup.com. That's where he met a lot of people, uh, VR and game design groups in New Jersey. You know, but I think this is kind of one of those unspoken things. And it's, it's a big thing for me to kind of, I've been in this for 10 years and I've worked with a lot of great people. But the part of this industry that really, you know, inspires me to keep going is the part where people really change their life because mm-hmm. you can change your life, right? Like I know people that manage restaurants at 60 and that's not a life I wanted, right? Yeah. And I'm working restaurants, I'm working these day jobs, uh, you know, I'm, I'm doing all this crazy stuff. And then you get a job in this game industry or, or as an artist, maybe it's freelance gig here and there, like Lawrence who's picking up freelance gig and then five years later gets a job but your life changes once you get that job, right? It does. It completely changes. You meet all these new people who are like-minded as you are. They can talk about this kind of stuff. Like I didn't have that many people that I could actually talk to about game art and that kind of thing. Totally. But now I'm surrounded by people that I can talk to and ask. More importantly, I can actually ask these people for feedback on my work, um, which right. makes you a better artist. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Because you ever explain what you do to somebody and then have them say, so, but what is it you do? Yeah, <laughs> you know? absolutely. Yeah. It's, you know, I'm a digital sculptor. So you <laughs> draw and the computer makes it? But how's that yeah. work? Right? I usually end up telling people I'm a game developer. <laughs> there you go. That's probably the yeah. easiest. <laughs> yeah. I make games. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know, along those lines, that's actually one of the things that's really confuses the hell out of me is because if you go and you want to learn this, you go to a game development course, and then is that programming? Is that what? So if you don't mind, I'd love to unpack your learning experience and get a sense of what the things are that you emphasize. And I have a sense here because, and this is something that's really dear to my heart. And so correct me if I'm wrong, but a lot of people I see, myself included, I have this tendency we start projects, we get them to a certain level, and then we stop. Mm-hmm. Is it correct to say, since you said you're somebody who really gets stuck on something, and are you somebody who gets into a project and you like finish it that last mile? Usually, I only kind of stop a project mm-hmm. if it starts to become too time-consuming, or if something comes up that say, like I need to, you know, I want to learn Houdini to do this project. Right. Yes. So I'll go and learn Houdini. And then I'll come back or, you know, I'll use that project to learn Houdini. Or if someone comes to me with like an interesting project that they have in mind that they want me to be a part of, then I'll kind of stop what I'm doing. Generally, if it's, you know, if it's I'm okay with stopping, if it's maybe not in the end kind of area, if if it's near the end, then I'll finish off doing what I'm doing and then go to that. But there's certain projects as well that I use for kind of practice stuff. So there's one where I've got a scene in Unreal right now that I'm actually using to test my lighting capabilities um, okay. and practice getting some really nice baked lighting, um, mm-hmm. more sort of arc fizz kind of lighting. So I guess so like I, I won't take that to its completion because I'm only using it 
to practice my light. It will never be a project that I take to completion and give it renders to put my portfolio because I'm purely only doing um, sort of is practice. But generally speaking, yeah, I'll finish everything that I start. Yeah. So if I had to draft a curriculum for me to kind of learn this on my own, you started with Blender, right? I did, yeah. yeah. Okay. And I used to tell people that you needed to learn Maya and Max, but nowadays Blender's just awesome. And it's got a crazy community. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I think Blender's a great place to start. Sounds it's like a, great. Yeah, it's a great place to start because it's free. So yep. for, for the first, I mean, I use Max now, 3ds Max, and mm-hmm. I've just started to learn Modo, but and I haven't actually used Blender in quite some time now, but it's free and mm-hmm. you can do so much with it, like sculpting, painting, modeling. So, Yeah, what is it you recommend somebody do in the beginning? What's the first thing that they should really focus on and get their head around, you know, and, and accomplish? Okay. Fundamentals of modeling, polygon modeling. Yeah. Yeah. Being able to construct something in 3D by just like sort of, I guess, you know, box modeling or, you know, sub- subdivision modeling. I think that's probably one of the better places to start. Or yeah. if you're more interested in, if you really want to kind of go just straight down the visual route, then you can jump into Substance Designer. It's kind of a completely, or not, I wouldn't say completely different area, but you still need to learn, you know, I, I guess if you're going to go into texturing, then maybe you jump into ZBrush first and learn how things are made up. But I really think you need to learn the basics of how polygons can come together to make mm-hmm. 3D art. So. Yeah, that makes sense. Learn your basic modeling, high polygon modeling for the most part. Yeah. And then uh, a little bit of ZBrush. Now, Substance Designer, how important? Because this is something that I think I'm going back and forth on now. A year ago, I told people you need to substance, you got to get on that bandwagon. But now I'm hearing from a lot of people that in terms of designer, people pretty much have their designer guy or girl, right? How relevant is Substance Designer for us as a core skill? Like one that is going to attract attention and help us get that job? I would think pretty highly, highly to be honest. I only got my job because I knew how to use Substance Designer. Mm. Um, that's literally why I got my job. <laughs> well, I guess not why, because I had other things on my portfolio, but right. they were looking for someone that used Substance Designer. They were just starting to use Substance Designer quite heavily um, yeah. on that project, and they needed someone who knew Substance Designer quite well, and it's kind of the main reason why I got my job. And you were you know, fresh to the industry. I tell the story often of the student who came in and said that his previous teacher told him he had a better chance of getting into the NFL than becoming a character artist in the game <laughs> industry, right? And I told him, uh, you know, if somebody says that to me, I'd be like, yeah, I mean, you have a snowball's chance in hell of getting in the game industry if you don't do what they want, right? You got to do what people want. So if you just think, oh, I got to make a bunch of low poly models and somebody's going to give me a job, well, you know, you're screwed. Not going to work. It won't work. So same with environment arts. If you want to get in and be an environment artist and you're just going to make a whole bunch of low poly models that you think might fit some Blizzard style, maybe, maybe not, it's not going to really happen very fast. No, you really need to kind of also kind of tailor your the work you're doing to the job that you want. So I wouldn't really recommend anyone to just make a whole load of stuff and then apply for everything. Right. Um, know, know where you want to go, tailor your stuff to that. So... With substance, what is it that makes a substance material really work? Just in a generic perspective, you know, because I have students right now studying substance and diving into substance. And we get to the point where people can create patterns and then some people will excel past and they'll actually start to create the thing. But what do you think are some of the 
I don't know how to say this, but the essential things for somebody to lock down in substance. Because if I'm looking at yours, for example, let's say if we're looking at your herringbone wood, you've got the pattern, but then you've got some color variation in it. You've got some value variation in it. You've got some wear and tear and the wear and tear is localized to specific places, right? So what is it that we need to make sure our substance designer materials has? If you're just talking in a generic sense. So it needs a height map, you know, yep. and you need to kind of know generally how height maps work. Mm-hmm. You need to know what you want to make. So reference is everything, basically. If you mm-hmm. don't have reference, then you're not really going to be able to make. Like I, I guess some people can make things from their head, but reference is, reference is king. So if you see wear and tear only in a specific place then you're only going to put it in that specific place in substance designer but being able to make height maps and understanding what height map is how they work that's kind of a fundamental that you should know uh, going into substance designer i would say the least thing that you need to know is how to color stuff color information should be kind of mm. one of the last things you do i've heard that multiple Sorry. times yeah i've only ever met one person that did color first and then everything else and I couldn't believe it. I was like, what are you doing? <laughs> um, <laughs> it, was, it, was, it blew my mind, um, but it worked for them. So mm-hmm. um, if it works for them, then, you know, if it works for you, whatever works for you, then you should kind of go for it. But I, like a lot of other people, work height map first. Yeah. And so if I'm looking at your, like, cottonwood bark here, right? And so the first group all the way to the left is that shape generator. Yeah. So you need to be able to define your large scale shapes mm-hmm. and i guess try and do it as simple as you can don't try and overcomplicate things so general large scale information and then you work down so large medium small and then start adding in your objects things like plants and stones and that kind of thing like smaller additional pieces layered in line so you see like i've got i've added some moss in there and stuff that comes right at the end when i've got the actual bark created mm-hmm. yeah so that, that's kind of where that would be so yes large medium small and then everything else comes after mm. yeah and this is actually a beautifully simple graph here for these results because you got pretty yeah, solid results yeah it's quite a small graph that's mm-hmm. what if you if you can keep things as less complicated as you can because if you come back to that graph later on maybe like you, even in a year or so you're going to look at it and be like where is everything you know so Keep it in a really structured way as well. What are some of the common mistakes you find people making when they're building designer materials? Not utilizing the kind of substance to its fullest, things like making your own nodes, mm. doing things that you you repeat a lot, not combining that into a node and then kind of taking that on. Things like no organization whatsoever. Um, so you see from my wood bark here that everything is commented Everything is kind of in these boxes here. I've got root nodes to move my wires kind of where I want to keep them, making sure everything's neat and tidy so that mm-hmm. if it's not you that's coming to look at this, say it's another artist comes over and looks at this, they need to be able to understand what's happening from start to finish. And I think that's really important. All right. So Substance got you the job. What changed when you got the job? What was the first day like? So the first day was, I guess, um, you know, getting to know the tools yeah. that are used, like the game engine that they use, mm-hmm. uh, learning how to, you know, get things in and out of the game engine. So I guess that's kind of one of the main things. But kind of the first thing that happened to me was 
where I was told to, here's a texture we need, go and make it. And then, you know, I went and made that, kind of spoke with our direction, spoke with other people. I guess that kind of got me talking to other people, meeting new people at the mm-hmm. studio. Like other people were coming over to me with advice and things like, oh, what if you do this? What if you do that? And that kind of thing. So it was basically just kind of, I had a texture to make and, you know, kind of made it and then getting used to all the priority tools that they have. Do you remember what the material was? I do, actually. It was in the Forza Horizon 4 terrain textures, and it's the mode lawn texture. How long did they give you then, and how long do you have now to build these things? We have Everything's kind of broken down into scheduled work. And because mm-hmm. I was new, I think maybe we had four days to make this, plus variants as well. Um, yeah. So uh, Forza Horizon 4 has seasons, so yeah. we had to make seasonal gradients. So I had about four days to make that. And now you're given the same kind of amount of time. And if you can make, if you make it, you know, some materials require maybe longer than four days. Some mm-hmm. materials require less than four days. So it's kind of flexible. Okay. Uh, oh, so about four days average. Yeah, give or take, yeah. And I mean, is there any point in which you have made all the materials in the universe and that's that? Or is this no. just like an unending demand for you? Yeah, I mean, so there'll be a point where I've made all we've made all the textures for the game, um, yeah. and then we go on to doing other things for the same game. Mm-hmm. Um, we just get, you kind of get moved department and kind of go on to other areas, which mm-hmm. is why you kind of need to know a little bit of everything. You can't be too specialized, right? You do need to be knowledgeable in other areas, things like scene composition. You know, you should you need to be able to dress buildings like with props and stuff, and that kind of thing. What's the next job for you? Like, where does your job lead? Where does my job lead? Yeah, because um, right now you're an environment artist. So, you know, where would you want, what would you want to be doing? What What would the job title be in, in let's say, three years? So, you know, hopefully I'll go up to senior mm-hmm. environment artist. Yeah. And then my kind of eventual goal is to become a lead. Yeah. To actually lead a group of people and sort of manage a team of people. It kind of goes back to, you know, I was a manager of a nightclub for 10 years. I kind of mm-hmm. have that managing mindset already. So, yeah, yeah it's kind of leading a team of other environment artists. That's kind of my eventual goal. And since you were out there in the workforce working, I imagine, you know, you're not a young person in their early 20s, right? I am in my late 20s. So what do you say to people who are worried about, you know, missing the boat or getting old? Or It's definitely something I was worried about when I first started. You know, I, I was I came in when I got the job. We were hiring a, other contractors that were kind of fresh out of uni, mm-hmm. all these like nineteen year olds and stuff. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> am I a bit old? Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not the only one. There's plenty of other people that have started older than I was. And I say you're kind of never too old to follow what you want to do. And you know, I, I say you're never too old to change. Yeah, and it's I hear that, but I I share and I understand the skepticism that somebody might have. I mean, they they might be like, "Look, I'm 38, you know. At some point, it's got to be too late, right? Or no? Do you find that this is just a very receptive industry? Look, from what I've seen so far, I think yes. it's it's receptive. Obviously, I haven't worked in several different studios, but or you know, playgrounds. I would say it's very receptive if you're good at the job. Then, if you're right, the right person for the job, if you're, you can do the work, and if you're a nice person, then you know you'll get the job. 
there's no we're not going to not hire someone because they're too old um i don't think that's kind of the kind of way you know yeah especially if the work is awesome right but you could have and you see it all the time you get like 19 year olds 18 year olds that just have really bad work and then you have this like 30 year old super awesome work taught himself can come into the job straight away start making great content i'm gonna go for that guy um yeah makes sense i want to get a little technical here and for some people they might not totally get this, but it's one of the things that's important to me in the boot camp. It's this idea that the goal isn't necessarily realism as far as I can tell, although of course that's the direction, but it's not necessarily the goal. In the boot camp, we use a thing called material expression. We want metal to look like metal, leather to look like leather, right? And we want gold to look goldish and you know all of these things. And you know, part of that is because the styles can change. Like if you're on Dishonored or something like that, then things change, you know, and it's not pure. So what do you think is important for a material to really be a material? What are some of the essential things that we have to make sure we cover? I mean, the essential things, shape and response, material response. So roughness, super important. Getting that material to shine or not shine in the right places will really sell material. You know, I think that's, because I always tell my students, the key is always in roughness. Do you agree? Yeah, I do agree. Quite heavily. It is very important, a roughness map. I mean, there, there's times that it's not possible to have a high quality, good roughness map. Um, mm-hmm. So you do have to kind of know how to make a material without relying on the roughness, which kind of puts you in different territory. But like technical reasons, technical limitations, um, you need to take into consideration when making a texture for production game you know you're, you're not gonna be putting a 4k map into a game engine and shipping that it's just you know it's, for all your materials it's not gonna run mm-hmm. so yeah there's certain technical limitations you have to kind of consider when making a material for a game engine and i think that once you get into the job into a studio you learn how to make a material for that game engine compared to another game engine like Unreal or you know, mm-hmm. using Marmoset. Mm-hmm. And when a roughness map kind of isn't, you can't really rely on your roughness map, then then you have to kind of go in and start kind of, kind of breaking PBR a little bit and actually adding lighting information into your base color, which a lot of people will probably be like, whoa, what are you doing there? Um, but sometimes it's necessary to make your, your thing look good. And I guess that's your end goal. Whatever right. you can do to make your material or you know your asset look good and look really well within the scene is your goal. Are there any tricks that you use with roughness? Because I think it's easy for people to misunderstand that there's a lot of variations in small shifts of the roughness value, right? Mm-hmm. Like, do you just prefer to go matte and then shiny like do you dial numbers in how do you get it because i'm looking here and it's like the wood yeah it looks pretty dang solid right i'm looking at your stone that looks pretty dang solid you know you've really dialed in that roughness how do you do it are you really finessing those numbers or do you have some recipe that you use a lot of the time i will actually start from my normal map or Mm -hmm. my height map um and i'll do a high pass filter and kind of bring the values all the way down, clamp them all down, and then start adding in uniform colors with specific values and then specific masks. And that way I have complete control over the entire roughness line. 
And then right at the end, I'll use an auto levels to make sure I'm using the full range of the roughness. And then after that, I can, you know, bring it up or down depending on the surface. But usually I'll have a long line of uniform colors with specific values and specific masks to get the exact roughness at the exact place I want. I got got it. All right. It's not that it's just maybe some, like say if we're in substance painter and you throw a fill layer on and you put it at, uh, you know, 70% white or something, and then you just throw some masks on it. It's like you're actually layering this on with your curvature, which is essentially representing the height, and then using different filters to kind of lock that in. Is that accurate? Yeah, that's absolutely true. Yeah. Okay, got it. So it's a construction. You're absolutely constructing that roughness value. Yep, I'm just layering things up, just like doing with the height map. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what you'll do with the color map, you do the exact same with the roughness map. You just layer things on until you get the right value. Got it. What would you be doing right now if you weren't doing games? Would you still be doing managing in a club? <laughs> I hope I wouldn't be managing the night club. Um, <laughs> well, but I think, yeah, I was going to say, I think the important part there is this was what you wanted to do. Exactly, yeah. You didn't have necessarily um, a plan B. Nope. This is what I was going to do. And this is what, you know, I was like, I'm doing that. Let's go. <laughs> That's a really, I've noticed that now all the people I've interviewed, you know, it's not like this is something you just kind of casually get into and you're like, well, maybe I'll be a game artist. Yeah. You know, the people that are here are here because they're like, I'm going to freaking do this and I'm going to get yeah. this done. And, There's you no know, that, yeah. And that brings me to the kind of one of the last questions I got. And then I can open up for questions if anybody in the audience has them. But it is a little bit hard to get into the industry. It's yeah. not like programming where there's a million unmet jobs by the end of next year is what I read. And, um, yeah. you know, there's definitely a good supply for the demand of jobs, not necessarily at the quality level that the jobs want to hire at. But what do you think are the important things somebody should think about to position themselves for becoming a job candidate? Because who knows the jobs, there's so many variables there. But if we just simplify it and say, I want to be a job candidate for games, because if you show up with a bunch of ZBrush renders, you're not a job candidate. What's going to help me be a job candidate? What are the things that I absolutely should be focused on? Taking projects to completion, showing that you can start something and finish it. It's really Mm -hmm. kind of a strong thing. Being able to present your work in a good way. Also, I see a lot of people doing this where their portfolios are just full of stuff that I'm not interested in seeing. I've seen people fresh at university on their portfolios. They have walls of text inside images. And it's the first thing you see when you open up something. I don't want to see that. I want to see images. I want to see what you can do art-wise. I am a little bit, but I'm not entirely looking at how you got there i'll look at that after Mm -hmm. um i I see the good art so having less stuff on your portfolio but of a higher quality definitely going to make you kind of stand out a bit more um also kind of just putting yourself out there a little bit and um asking people if you you know someone that's even remotely tied to the industry talk to them find out any kind of information you can if there's any sort of sources out there tap that knowledge out um Focus your effort into getting the job um, and kind of getting to try and get that drive to kind of get yourself in the right position. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, with this industry, sometimes it is luck, you know, applying for the job at the right time. But I think if you focus on having high quality work on your portfolio and less of it, then 
I think that's kind of a big starting point because you don't want to be looking through hundreds and hundreds of images either. Yeah. Um, so. Kind of along these lines, this is a job you love, I take it, right? Oh, of course, yeah, absolutely. Now, you know, there is occasionally online with layoffs and things like that. Occasionally, there's some skepticism expressed, like, you know, it can be a hard job. But how do you explain this to people who are like, oh, but, you know, you have to do art tests, you know, you have no job security, quote unquote, you have to work so hard, you have so many hours, like, what makes you love this job? I mean, what's the saying? If you do it, you'll love, you'll never work a day in your life. Um, <laughs> you know, if, if you really like what you're doing, but then, you know, you'll have certain companies that will exploit that. And I think that's true in every industry. You know, they'll exploit their employees if they can. But then you get companies that are really good to work for. So, you know, do your research. And if it sounds like a company that you want to work for, then go for it. I understand that the hesitancies of maybe working for a company like EA because you always hear about layoffs and it can be kind of hard to think about. So like I said, I would do your research on who you want to work for before you actually go out and try and get that job. Along that lines of getting yourself out there, have you found Gumroad to be something that's useful for you? You know, leveling up your career, getting people aware of you, things like that? I think so a little it's kind of hard to say because i've only got these I've got two things on my gum road mm -hmm. and one of them is quite old mm -hmm. and it was actually put on gum road before i started working at playground and it was to kind of raise some extra money to help me move down to england mm -hmm. so i think i would say gum road is not as important as getting your images out on social media like facebook instagram Discords, that kind of thing. Um, I think Gumroad should be, or in my case, I use it as a kind of just a sort of secondary mm. revenue of money. Um, do, you have, do you have any Discords you recommend? The Dynasties one, um, yeah. which quite a lot of people are on. That's really good. A lot of people in that. A lot of people that have been in the industry for a long time uh, and are all willing to give feedback on everything. So. I've had a couple of people come on the podcast and talk about this community. Really a cool place. So Yep. Yeah, I was on, I, I started, I came across it um, before I got my job at Playground. And, you know, I, I posted my work on there, get a lot of feedback, and it helped kind of push my work. So I definitely recommend it. Awesome. All right, my friend, thank you so much. Are there any other environment artists that you follow that you think we should pay attention to? I know the, the, the big ones, you know, Josh Lynch. Rohaley Ogwin, um, he's really good. All right, my friend. Well, thank you, Nathan, man. I, I remember when I saw your work and I remember hearing your story and reading a little bit about it. I was, I just really wanted to have a conversation with you because you're somebody who really got yourself there, which takes a lot, you know, a lot more than people might realize it takes a lot. But, you know, I was really hoping to just connect with you and see a little bit about how you've done it, you know, so I really appreciate you sharing your wisdom because I know a lot of my students can connect with that. Well, thank you for having me on and give me the opportunity to, to tell my story. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, Nathan, thank you so much. Take care. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you so much for taking the time out to listen to this. And I want to ask just two things of you. Number one, make sure to leave a comment or rank this wherever you are listening to it on Apple, uh, Stitcher, Spotify. Really makes a difference in helping us get the word out about this industry and about what we do. Number two, make sure you visit vertexschool.com 
To learn more about what programs we offer in this area as a creative and for artists who are looking to jumpstart their career and discover a new industry. Again, thank you so much for listening. We're accepting applications right now, so I look forward to hearing from you soon.